change for this guy. And so Jesus sends him off to the pool called Sent, you know, go, go and, and do this thing. Um, and it's a strange healing that, that takes place. Um, he spits on the ground, he makes some mud, he sends him off. The man went and washed, you see in verse 7, he came home seen. But notice by this time, Jesus has moved on, right? So Jesus, uh, well, this guy didn't even see Jesus because the, he heard from him and he went and did the thing. But by the time he comes back, Jesus uh, has moved on and isn't there. And instead, the neighbours start questioning and for the rest of the chapter, we'll see that this poor guy is just subject to this barrage of questions. It's like he's in court and he's got all these people wanting to kind of cross-examine him. What's going on here? And it starts with the neighbours, verse 8, who say, uh, you know, they're, they're, they start an argument amongst themselves. Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some claimed it was. And others said, oh, it only looks like him. He himself is insisting, no, no, <laughs> I really am the man. Uh, and... There's this dispute because, well, I think because they're not stupid. Like the, the much simpler explanation than a blind man can now see is that, well, this is not actually the blind man, right? Uh, and so they're trying to figure out, well, maybe it's him, maybe it's not. And I, I think it's, it's like our reaction with beggars today. The last thing you do, well, last thing I do is make eye contact um, I'm not sure I could describe beggars that I walk past every day in Wynyard down in central Sydney. Um, and so if I was put on the spot and had to figure out whether it was the guy, I'd, I'm not sure I could tell. Uh, and so these neighbours having that kind of conversation, is it really the guy? And, and when he says, yeah, yeah, it, it really was me, they ask the obvious question, well, how then did your eyes get open? And they're quizzing him, but he really can't answer. They, he can just point to Jesus and say, well, Jesus said, go and do this. So I went and did it and I came back and I'm, I'm seeing. But he hasn't even um, uh, got an understanding of what's taken place and he can't say much about Jesus at all. Now, Jesus by this stage was uh, causing um, trouble and attracting crowds and dividing people in all sorts of ways. And you'll know that if you've, if you've read the verse 6 chapters of, of John. But it gets heightened especially through chapter 7 and 8 and and uh, Jesus back in just chapter 8 had been uh, in front of the religious leaders of the day the Bible guys the Pharisees uh, and they had some of them had concluded that um, you know he is from Satan and Jesus is kind of saying the same things about them and immediately before chapter 9 you've got him kind of almost being stoned uh, uh, with stones uh, from the Pharisees uh, and needing to slip out of the temple. So there's a huge conflict which had been taking place and these um, neighbours of the formerly blind man bring him into the middle of that conflict. And so they bring him to the Pharisees and say, look, I think you need to look at this. Uh, you know, something weird is going on here. This guy's been blind and now this Jesus, and you know the conflict that's going on with Jesus. Well, Jesus is the one who seems to have healed him. What do you make of that? And so just as the neighbours had been unsure and having a bit of a fight and, you know, is it him, is it not? Now the Pharisees uh, have that same kind of fight amongst themselves as they're trying to 
make sense of it, some of them are saying, look, it can't be, it can't be a healing because Jesus is not from God, he doesn't keep the Sabbath, and that was one of their big arguments. And then others are saying, well, hang on, how can he perform such signs? And see there in verse 16 it says, so they were divided. So here they are having an argument amongst themselves, and guess who's looking on? Well, guess who's looking on? Well, the guy who for the first day has been able to look at all. Uh, the first guy able to offer evidence in this case, they turn to him, verse 17, here's the cross-examination again, what have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And, uh, and he says, well, he's a prophet. A prophet is someone who speaks God's word. A prophet is someone who needs to be listened to. A prophet is someone that hadn't been around in Israel for like 400 years uh, until John the Baptist appeared who said there's going to be someone coming bigger than me. And so to say that he was a prophet was kind of a, a big deal and a very courageous thing for him in terms of this argument that's going on, which is about really, you know, whether Jesus should be killed for blasphemy for the kind of things that he's saying or whether he's a prophet from God. In the middle of that, this guy says he is a prophet. So there's courage that goes on there. But, verse 18, you see that they still don't believe. They still don't believe that he'd been blind and they'd received his sight. And so they send for the parents. Why would they do that? Why would they do that? Well, you see in the questions they ask, look at verse 19. Is this your son, they ask? Is this the one who can say he was born blind? How is it he can see? See, if the parents say, that's not our boy, then dilemma solved. You know, it's actually just not the guy. If they say he hasn't been blind since birth, it removes that question about, you know, um, he's just, uh, Jesus hasn't done such a remarkable thing. Or if the parents say, oh no, he's just colorblind, you know, then you don't have the same kind of problem to make sense of. Um, but as the parents say, verse 20, he is our son, we know that, we know he's been born blind, the dilemma is kind of locked in, there's no escape. There's no one better place to say this really is the guy. And, and everything's kind of heightened again. And then there's this awfully sad line in verse 21. Did you hear it before where he says, but how he can now, how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He, he's of age. He, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah should be put out of the synagogue. That's why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. Um, and, and so um, here it is, that the first day that this son had been able to see his parents and he witnesses this as, as they brought into this dilemma, they they say the things that they, they can speak of, yeah, it really is him, but they, 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 they back away out of fear of being involved in this conflict over Jesus. They just say, look, that's just, don't involve us in religious questions about Jesus. We'd rather not, we're not going to say that. And, and what's driving that fear? What is it that stops them actually taking a, a position? Well, it says that they don't want to be cast out of the synagogue. The synagogue was, was, synagogue was like the first century church. It was how the Jewish people met and they'd, they'd hear the word of God, they'd pray, they'd meet together. It was the very centre of community. It was like church, right? And um, 
when Jesus comes into the world and some people start worshipping him in the synagogues and some people in the synagogues are saying, he is not the Lord, you should not be worshipping him, God alone is the Lord, then you've got two different gospels that are being taught in the same place and they can't both be true and they can't both be followed and those synagogues are dividing and are splitting and people are being cast out of the synagogue if they follow Jesus, if the leadership is following a gospel that says he's not really the Lord, he shouldn't really be listened to, he doesn't really have that kind of authority. And this family between son and parents look as though they're going to be caught into that division, a division which Jesus brings, a division which is hitting every kind of synagogue. And there's just this, oh, I don't know, this, this awful sense of failure, of, of courage and of nerve and of love from the parents that, that they, wouldn't, um, they wouldn't speak with confidence for their son. That the thing which is going to drive them instead is going to be fear, is going to be the approval of the synagogue leadership. Um, that's there. That kind of pain where people are cast out of situations is something that Jesus does genuinely bring and something that has been true for 20 centuries. And there are places in the world where following Jesus literally is a question of life and death. And to follow Jesus um, and to say no to uh, to Islam, will be death. Uh, and people are making that decision. In the West, at the moment, we see two different Gospels at work in the church um, and we see churches divided between leadership that some places uh, is saying, we have authority over Jesus and his word because we know better. Um, we're in a position to be able to judge and to tell you how to live and to follow this way and to listen to his word like that is, is actually blasphemous and awful and worthy of judgment. And so people are, in some places, being cast out. Now, what you've seen in Cairns is something different again, and yet it's part of something which is the same. It's, it's part of something which is happening around the world. It's part of something which says, where is your loyalty? It's, it's part of something which says... Um, why is it that people hate Jesus and his agenda? Why is it that that is something which is so offensive to people? Um, the last eight months has shown you some of that and even talking with a number of you this morning and there's questions about, well, are we actually going to be cast out of a, a building <laughs> that we can meet in because we're following Jesus? That would be awful and sad if it happens and yet we see that it's been happening since day one with Jesus. Um, and the pain of that is real. You know, um, people who love the people that they're with and are part of that community and only want them to know the riches of, of um, Jesus and, and what he brings and how he can bring us to the Father, um, for that are losing all. 
the questioning has not finished. Look at verse 24. A second time, they summoned the man. Well, it is almost kind of legal language like a court, isn't it? Who'd been born blind. This time, they're, they're much stronger. Give glory to God by telling the truth. Uh, we know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Right? So they want him to agree with their verdict of Jesus. Jesus is a sinner. You say that, and that'll bring glory to God. God is not on Jesus' side in this. He's on our side. Um, and we want you to join in that judgment. And I, I just love the courage of this guy again. Look at verse 25. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. So great witness, by the way, at this point. He's not, he's not speculating. He's not here to do theology or to talk about religious stuff. He's I can't talk about that. I don't know about that. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. So he puts the dilemma back into their court and says, you explain this. And so they say, well, what did he do to you? How did he open his eyes? And verse 27, this is such an Australian answer. I've told you already, you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to be his disciples too? Isn't that awesome? Um, he exposes the insincerity of their questioning. They're not really interested in getting at the truth. They've already made their mind up about Jesus. They don't actually want to follow him. And I just think sometimes, gee, that's a helpful thing. When I, when I talk to friends who, who want to have these speculative, hypothetical questions about Jesus or to play religious games, but they're not interested in Jesus, you, you kind of, at this point, this guy's questioning is kind of saying, what evidence do you want? What, let's just have a real conversation and not a fake one. What would get you over the line in terms of following Jesus? And look, if you're, if you're here this morning and you're not sure and you've got questions, great. Follow those questions, find them out. But if you're here this morning and you've just been playing fake questions with Jesus and you want to throw in the, you know, oh, what about the dinosaurs on the ark and that kind of stuff, it's not really a concern, get real with Jesus. The challenge here is a real one to think what is it, would it take for you to actually follow him? What is it at stake? And they, um, they just hurl insults at him. So he kind of brings on their hatred by the uh, demand to stop following these kind of fake debates. And when he does that, he knows what's coming. He knows that his parents have um, taken a very pragmatic decision not to push that because they're going to get kicked out. As he goes down this line, he knows that there could well be a cost. And they really give it to him with both barrels. But look at verse uh, 34. The insult here is not just... Um, it's, it's not just like state of origin time and Queenslanders talking about New South Wales and, you know, you guys are cockroaches and all that kind of conflict and stuff like that. When they say you were steeped in sin at birth, it's not that kind of just sledging. Like, notice who else has said that. Do you remember? We've, we've seen already people who say, well, hang on, you were steeped in sin at birth. It was the disciples, right? Back in verse 1, we saw that this was the same issue that the disciples brought up. And this is a bit tricky, but just bear with me just for a moment on verse 34. Um, they say, how dare you lecture us? Why do I say that? Because 
here is a guy who's been blind since birth. So in their mind, here is a guy who really, really, really deserves judgment. This is not just a guy with a little bit of suffering, but a guy whose suffering has been so big and the judgment on him from God has been so big that even from the very first day of his birth, he's been under the judgment of God. Of all the people, this group is, you know, this guy is clearly one who is under God's judgment. And so who is he to tell us, the religious experts who know all about the Sabbath and God's law and all that kind of stuff, who are you to lecture us? Right? So this pride that they've got, this confidence they've got in their own position that comes partly because of who, you know, who we are, we're so impressive, and who you are, you are so sinful, you're, you're just so blind, right? Now, what's the problem with that argument? Just accept that argument on, their, on its own terms. Like if their way of thinking is right, what's the problem with it? Why doesn't it work? I'll tell you why, because the guy isn't blind. The guy can see. And so even on their own understanding, if he's under God's judgment, well, he no longer is. If he is the pinup boy for what it means to be judged by God, then surely they should be listening to the guy who's able to remove that judgment. If Jesus can move people from being fully blind to being able to fully see, surely of all people, Jesus is the one they should listen to and he's the very one they won't. Because their confidence is not in God's way of saving people from God's judgment, but instead their own way of leaving people trapped in law and religion and judgment and stuff like that. So this is a really strong word against anyone who kind of wants to put pride in their own religion and understanding and being able to judge others and being able to call out people who are really bad sinners. Now, for us, it's not blindness, but we'll have the things we like to think, that this person's really deserving of God's sin because they do that sin, and that's not something I do. Stop it. Stop it. See that God is the one who brings people from darkness into light. And the great sin here is that of the Pharisees who are judging the others. Not of the, not of, not of the blind man here, not in this story. That's not Jesus' agenda as well. So it's a tricky kind of connection. Go back to it if you need to. But I, it's just such a wonderful thing that John is um, showing to us here. And look, if, um, if this was a movie, right, uh, this would be it. You know, the, the, uh, the curtains would, would, would kind of um, uh, be almost ready to be drawn as we come towards the final scene. Um, because as they cast him out, as sad as that is, and you see that there in verse 34, they throw him out. The very next moment, which you might think is the finale, is that Jesus comes and finds him. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Right. So Jesus has been absent, right? hasn't been part of the story. Really weird as you read through John that all of a sudden there's almost this whole chapter where Jesus isn't around. And instead you've got this guy who is, hasn't even seen Jesus but is listened to his word and obeyed him and followed him and seems to be ready to trust him but doesn't actually know him. And Jesus does this thing here which I don't think he does, he doesn't do anywhere else in the gospel, that is that he goes to find him. He goes to find this man. Um, he'd heard it and then goes and seeks this guy, seeks him out. What a picture 
of Jesus's love and compassion and concern. Um, no one else uh, does Jesus kind of seek out in quite this way. And when he does, he questions him and says, look, do you believe in the, in the Son of Man? And that, that's language from the Old Testament, Daniel 7, where uh, God had promised that uh, someone like a Son of Man, so a human, would come and be given right to judge all the nations on earth and, and wrap up history, right? And so one of the big hopes of the Old Testament is that this Son of Man would appear and come and do God's work, you know, God's great work of bringing judgment to all the nations. Um, and Jesus says, do you believe in him? And, and the guy who's still being questioned, by the way, notice this, poor guy, who is he, sir? So he still doesn't know the answer. The amount of answers this guy does not have. Uh, who is he? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus says, how beautiful is this? You have now seen him. He hadn't seen him before, but now he says, you've now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And so Jesus is saying, you get to see the Son of Man. And you get to hear his, his words as I speak. Jesus here couldn't be making a bigger claim about who he is and the authority he has uh, and the authority of his word. And the guy responds the only way that he should. And look at, look at it in uh, verse 38. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. The one thing that we know that the Pharisees weren't doing, they weren't believing. Here he is, Lord, Lord, he calls him. The word there is the word for God. I believe. And he worshipped him. Blasphemous that anyone would worship a man. In the, in the mind of first century Judaism. The, the distinction between the creator and the creation is absolute. And yet, Jesus, the word of God, was with God and he was God. And he took on flesh and dwelt amongst us. And so God becomes flesh, walks amongst us, fully God and fully man. And so this man, the blind man, comes to Jesus and worships him. Um, and that, at that point, you know, the credits roll, uh, the curtain closes, it's the Hollywood kind of ending, you know? The great reversal that sees the vindication of this guy who's prepared to leave the support of those around him in order to follow the one who's loved him and sought him out and would be with him forever. And if it was Hollywood, that would be the ending. You know, credits roll, that's it. But it's, it's more like a French film at this point. It's got, <laughs> it's got this dark kind of twist uh, where there's this massive plot twist right at the end. And Jesus says, verse 39, for judgment I have come into the world so that the blind will see and that those who see will become blind. He doesn't say, I've come into the world to save people and to bring sight to the blind. He says more than that. He says, not salvation, it's judgment. When I come, I bring, he does bring salvation. This man is proof of it. But he also brings judgment. See, Jesus divides. He brings salvation, but he brings judgment. To those who are confident of being able to see, well, he says, you're actually blind. 
To those who know that they're blind, he says, look, come and I'll give you sight. What a twist. And who is watching and who is hearing and who understands exactly the point that Jesus is making? Well, it's the Pharisees. Verse 40. Uh, they hear this and they say, what are we blind to? See, they get that this is aimed at them. And Jesus pins the very heart of the problem here and says, Jesus says, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So the, the problem really isn't blindness. The problem is people who think that they can see. And it's the same today. Come to Jesus as someone who is blind, someone who is lost, someone who is hopeless. Reach out to him, he will give you sight. But come as one who wants to sit in judgment over Jesus and to say, you know better? And he will expose um, that awful uh, judgment where guilt is remaining on you because you haven't come to the only one who can remove that guilt. Come instead and worship Jesus. That's the choice that Jesus gives. The choice there on that first day, and it's still the choice before us. Amen? Amen.